We are in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. You know what? Before we get into Matthew, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37, please. Amber praying for peace. This whole uh, Tony brought up this psalm as we were praying this morning. Just praying for our day and what the Lord would have. But as we sit in, you know, Israel and Hamas, what's going on there in the Gaza Strip. As we sit with Russia and Ukraine, there's other conflicts that are going on. As we sit in these dialogues, as we read news cycles and we see other ideas that people are promoting, um, what do we do? Psalm 37, we're just going to read the first few verses here. Um, but I would encourage you to go read all of this. I just think it's a great encouragement for us to hear because um, it's awesome. Psalm 37 one says, do not fret. Don't fret because of the evildoers, nor be envious for the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Amen? Again, just uh, I need this in my mind and my heart. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. As, again, as we sit in, you know, just what Amber was praying during worship, praying for peace. Um, we'll talk about uh, a little bit about the whole idea of, you know, Israel's right to defend itself. But in that right of defense, our heart cries out for mercy, right? We're praying for the mercy of God. I don't want to see a single child, woman, or man that is innocent in any capacity uh, to have their life ended because of war. It's, it's horrific, and it's, it's very sad, and it's painful. And what do we do about it halfway around the world? We pray. You don't need to pick it. You don't need to Facebook it. You don't need to TikTok it. What we need to do is pray. We need to seek the Lord and not freak out internally in our own minds and our own hearts. You trust in the Lord and you pray for peace and we pray for the Lord's will to be done. Because I don't know what the Lord's will is. I've told many just in our conversation in regards to what's going on in Israel right now. I don't know if God stepped back and allowed this to happen as though he's removed his protection and blessing for according to his will. Or I don't know if God has stepped in and caused this to happen in some form of judgment. I don't have a clue. And in the Lord's mind and his will, it can be either. All I know is I trust Jesus and I'm praying for his miraculous peace to be revealed to all who know him 
so that people will be comforted in him. And I'm praying for Jesus to be revealed to all who don't know him yet. At the same time, recognizing there are true enemies of God. And those enemies need to be dealt with by God. Amen? All right. There's, there's my opinion on that. Now we get into Jesus' opinion. All right, Matthew chapter 5 is where we are in the gospel. Okay, so Matthew is this man 2,000 years ago. We'll see later on in this gospel that he was a tax collector. As a tax collector, that means this man, he was on the fringes of his culture. Uh, he had signed a contract essentially with the enemy, with the... Uh, the um, Rome that had conquered, that was uh, occupying the nation of Israel at that time. So he would have been an extremely liberal on the political spectrum. He was an outcast. And here Jesus walks up to his tax booth one day and he asks and invites Matthew to follow him into this master disciple teacher student relationship. And Matthew leaves all to follow Christ. So this is the man that we're listening to as he has pinned this document down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing what we need to know in regards to who Jesus is and what his kingdom and his government is all about. So Matthew is not just this man who was called as a disciple after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Matthew is one of those men that is appointed as an apostle and is sent out into the world with the message of the gospel. So again, these are the ideas that we're sitting in as we're, as we're looking at this writing. And what he's bringing up in this writing, in this biography, essentially, and the testimony of Jesus's life, is Jesus is constantly communicating the kingdom of God. So inviting us into a relationship with, with him means that he's calling us out of any other government and social structure, and he's calling us to be a citizen of his kingdom. So as we're sitting here listening to this sermon uh, where he is communicating to his disciples and to the followers and the public that are on the hill on this day, he's communicating the, the rules of his kingdom. And in this message, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's beginning with, he's always aiming right at our heart. He's beginning with the character. Here's what the character of the kingdom of God is all about. This is who Jesus is. This is what he demonstrated. This is what he is calling us to be. And this is what he promises to transform us to become as we follow him throughout our life. That we would be men and women who are poor in spirit. There's a, there's a humility that we would be meek, that we would mourn when we... All right. So poor in spirit, humility... Mourning when you see sin in your own heart and then when you see sin in this, in this world. Meekness, there's a, there ought to be a gentleness and a kindness within us. That within our soul, we ought to be yearning and hungering and desiring, lusting for, we could even say, righteousness and justice. There is this, uh, we are to pursue being merciful individuals. You've received mercy. Therefore, we need to give mercy to others peacemakers, pure in heart. All of this rooted in righteousness for his name's sake, realizing when you choose Jesus, you are going to stand against 
the culture, regardless of what culture that you live in. Even if you think that you live in a culture, a Christian culture, and you stand up for what Jesus actually says and teaches, you're going you're to suffer harassment and persecution for it. And we're going to press into that idea today because he really gets at a counter-cultural heart in the message this morning. But as he continues on here in the Sermon on the Mount and what he's conveying, he's really starting with those major tables of the Ten Commandments that God pinned with his own finger in regards to you shall not commit murder. And when Jesus talks about murder, he's getting under our hearts and talking about anger. We all know what it's like to have anger. We all know what it's like to explode in the flesh. And we ought to know what it's like to calm down, to chill out, to submit those emotions to the Lord. And Lord, how do I respond in the circumstance? So he's approaching us and how we deal with anger. But in general, we can all say and raise our hands and say murder is wrong and we all know it. Same thing when it comes to lust. So Jesus is applying lust when it comes to adultery. But lust is this unhealthy, covetous desire for anything that's not of God and according to his will. So we can lust for all different kinds of things. And we can lift our hands in agreement and say that, you know, desiring things that we don't need to have, sinful things, and whether that leads to adultery and divorce or not, we can all agree that those are unhealthy emotions to have and to live out because those always lead to harsh repercussions in life. Same thing when it comes to oaths, what we talked about last week, being your word, be your yes or be your no. Um, Even the world would be in agreement with what Jesus is saying that human beings ought not to lie. We ought to be men and women of integrity and not living out dishonest lies, right? Those are really easy to just say, well, You know, Jesus isn't really teaching anything that's unknown. He's going beyond uh, what um, the culture of his day is saying, and he's getting to people's hearts just like he's getting to our hearts. But in the next couple, as he finishes out this section of this sermon, many of the commentators are going to say that this, this is the climax of the message. I don't fully agree with that, but it does become a climax of where he is at this portion and what he is leading to. And he shifts away from the Ten Commandments and he shifts into uh, commandments that are found in the rest of the law. But as he does this, he is going to approach us and correct us in ways that we feel that we have the right as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, We have certain rights that he has given to us and our culture gives us rights to behave in certain ways when we respond to evil. Last week, we ended in verse 37 where he's talking about the, uh, uh, anything that beyond your yes and no is from evil, from the evil one. I gave the definition for, for poneros, this malicious, malevolent evil. Um, that same word is going to come up today when Jesus tells us not to oppose evil. That's the level of evil that he's talking about. And automatically we ought to get really uncomfortable. But there's a context here. So verse 38 is where we're picking this up. And we are all need to sit at the footstool of our almighty God, realizing that he is in heaven, his throne room. Here we are on earth, his footstool. We are sitting at his feet, listening to his words in regards to 
his kingdom. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, this is your inner garment, let them have your cloak also. This is your outer cloak, your outer garments, your coat, we would say. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Back into verse 38, here's what Jesus is quoting. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hold your place there and turn to Exodus chapter 21, I believe. It's where this comes from. So chapter 20 of Exodus is the Ten Commandments. Chapter 21, God is giving commands to Moses to give these commands and these laws to the culture. In this section, beginning in chapter 21, verse 12, these are all laws concerning violence. Uh, Verse 12 says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Again, this whole section is dealing with violence. But if you jump down to verse 23, here's the command. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Somebody takes a life, you are to take that person's life. Eye for eye. Somebody strikes you in the eyeball and you go blind in your eye. The right judgment is for that person's eye to be blinded also. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So in this law of violence, this is what's being addressed. This is not personal retribution and retaliation. These are laws that are being given to the civic government culture for the nation of Israel. If a life is taken, the government of Israel has the right to take the life of the one who took the life. Eye for eye, there's there's an equal measure is the idea that, and when you are sitting in judgment within the culture, whatever has happened to this individual, the right thing to do in society to limit evil in that society is to have a punishment of like kind. This is the idea that's being brought about. So in Exodus, this is pressing into the idea of violence. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24, Leviticus 24, the same idea is being brought up, but in this, in the context, violence is being dealt with, yes, but at the same time, the subject matter is beginning in regards to blasphemy. Um, We're just going to read this context because it's good. So verse 24, 10 of Leviticus says, Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed 
the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name, blah, blah, verse 12. Then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take outside the camp him who has cursed and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. What do you think of that law? And this is this is a this puts us all into our seats as we listen to God teach us on his holiness and what it means to be called as his people, what it means to be his followers today. God is high. He is perfect. He is holy. He is good. Within his people, there ought not to be any heart, mind, language, behavior with any of us that would blaspheme, malign, mock, offend God. And in this, there was a stoning that occurred for this behavior, that that behavior would be cut off from the culture. That's the context as you jump down to verse 19. If any man causes disfigurement of his neighbor, as he has done so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God." The children of Israel obeyed there. Now turn to Deuteronomy 21. Actually, it's 19. So in Exodus, the emphasis, the focus there is dealing with violence in the culture. In Leviticus, the flavor of that command is in regards to, again, the holiness of God, the image of God. Um, not blaspheming his name and cutting off that from the culture at the same time. It's also dealing with violence. Here in Deuteronomy 19.15, it takes on the idea of being a false witness. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So pay attention to that. So by the mouth of one person, a singular witness, um, that singular witness can't give true testimony in regards to sin, iniquity, transgression, crime. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, it needs to be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, Then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother." so shall you put away evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. And hereafter they shall not again commit commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. All right, turn back to Matthew chapter 5. All of those three sections of the Old Testament give us the context and just the framework for what Jesus is talking about. Ultimately, in the Old Testament, what is being uh, directed to the civil government of Israel is to limit retribution, not to go beyond the crime and let the punishment for a crime be in like measure to what the crime was all about. So that's the heart and the emphasis of what those commands are in the Old Testament, whether it's dealing with violence in the culture, blasphemy in the culture, or false testimony, false witnesses in the culture. Now you fast forward to Jesus's time, and Jesus is addressing a false teaching and a false application of those commands in the culture of his time. Because the rabbis are teaching, what they've done is they've applied those civil laws to your personal right for retribution. If somebody comes to you and they punch you in the face and your right eye is damaged, you personally have the right to go and strike that person back, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and on down the line. So the culture of Jesus's day has given, given permission to the personal individual to seek out revenge. In the Old Testament, the only time that revenge is ever allowed is dealing with the blood avenger. So if somebody is murdered, uh, the, the kinsman of the individual who is murdered is allowed within the law to go and kill the person who committed murder. Every other crime in the Old Testament is always, there's, here's some civil processes that you need to process through, but ultimately it's where we even read in uh, Psalm 37 this morning, let the Lord be the avenger and take vengeance. It's not for us to take on personal vengeance and personal retribution in our own lives. So now sit with Jesus in that framework. So he's addressing an issue in the culture. You've heard it said, here's what the Old Testament says, and in what you've heard said, you're also sitting in this teaching of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, you shall not oppose, you shall not resist hostily an evil person. Now he goes through and he lists out some examples. So Jesus in consistently through this teaching in this sermon, as he's addressing these, uh, the people, he's using extreme language. He's using hyperbole. So what Jesus is not addressing here is somebody assaulting you. You have the right to, to defend yourself, to defend your family, to defend the innocent. You have the right to protect yourself. If somebody comes up and punches you in the face and is assaulting you, you have the right to defend yourself. Jesus isn't telling you to roll over, show your belly, and just submit to that violence. That is not what he is teaching at all. But what he is teaching us is to lay down your rights. A disciple, a follower of Jesus, a citizen of his kingdom, 
You, we are to let go of all of our rights that we demand for justice in the moment. And this is the language that he is using. So when he tells us not to oppose an evil person, here's the opposition that he's talking about. If somebody comes up to you and slaps your right cheek, how can they slap your right cheek? If I take my right hand and everything, the emphasis is always on the right hand. If I take my right hand and I open hand slap you, what side of your face am I slapping? Your left. So what this is, this is a backhanded slap. This is not a closed fisted punch. Today, we could say like in our culture, if somebody comes up to you and spits in your face, it's an insult in the culture. This is not an assault. This is not, uh, this is not violence. This is an, an act of the day of a backhanded slap that is to shock and to insult you. So when Jesus says, when you are insulted, how we would apply it in our culture today. So not assaulted, but insulted. When you individually are insulted, he is telling us to lay down your right to do like kind back and insult back and defend yourself in that position and in that moment. He's calling us as his disciples to lay down your right and turn to them the latches at the ear. Do not wear a collared shirt. So again, that's, that's the emphasis of what he's teaching. Are you uncomfortable? I mean, I mean, this jabs us all right in what we want to do um, in our natural flesh. But even as we're walking in the spirit, even as we're following Jesus, do you not feel like you have the right to defend yourself when you're assaulted, when you're attacked verbally, when you're mocked, when you're teased, when you're made fun of? That's the emphasis that Jesus is getting at. When you feel like somebody has just given you a backhanded swipe insult to not respond in like kind, but he's calling us to a different behavior. And the different behavior that he's calling us to has been the subject matter of this whole message in regards to being a peacemaker, in regards to being pure in your heart, in regards to being meek and gentle. Being meek means you have the power to respond, but that you're going to live out your response in gentleness and in kindness. Jesus is calling us to come into a situation where we feel like somebody has just thrown gasoline onto the fire of our emotions. He's calling us to bring water into that circumstance and to put the fire out and not to add oil or add gas to the fire, so to say. So again, he's looking and seeking to bring about in our hearts, in our mind, in our language, in our behavior that is absolutely contrary to what we feel like we have the right to do in the moment. The second scene is the example that he's given is somebody wants to sue you. If somebody wants to take you to the judgment seat is what's going on. It seems like the emphasis is on that you are being rightly sued. Like there's a just argument against you. You've committed some kind of crime. Somebody is taking you before the judge and, live and uh, laying out the case of what you've done wrong. And the judge is judging against you. And that judgment is to take away your clothes. Jesus is saying, 
go, you know, don't defend yourself in this circumstance. And what the judge says in regards to the payment that you need to pay, go above and beyond even what you're required to do in payment and seeking to make it right by giving them your outer cloak also. So again, in the, in the law, in the Old Testament, your outer cloak, this is something that you could not take from another person. And because the idea of your outer cloaks, your protection. For many people, this is the only protection they had from the chill of the night air. This would have been an individual's blanket or night. You could not take somebody's cloak away from them in judgment. But in the scene, Jesus is saying, when you've been found guilty and the judge tells you that you owe $10,000, pay $20,000. How do you feel? It, it, it makes you, may, no. <laughs> I mean, that's what we all want to say, right? But the emphasis of the heart of what it means to be a child of God, to be a child of the kingdom, to be a follower of Jesus is to know and understand you are not your own. You have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a possession of him through faith in Jesus Christ. You are owned by him. And your owner is telling you and is telling me, and I'm sitting in this with you just so you know, lay down your rights. And in this, this is walking out your life in the spirit and not in the flesh. You can sit in Romans 7 and 8 for that contrast. Great teachings. But to live a life in the spirit means you're in constant communication with God. Lord, if I've done something wrong, what do I need to do? Not just to make things equal, but what do I need to do to go beyond the line of equal and really just to love this person to make things right, to reconcile the relationship, to restore the relationship. When somebody takes you to the judge and sues you, go beyond the payment and making things right. Jesus already talked to us earlier. In your anger, as you're being drugged to the judge, seek to make things right and to be reconciled with your adversary on the way before you even approach the judgment seat. Right? So this is, I've done something wrong. I'm laying down my rights. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. How do we make this right? Going beyond what you think your right is. And the third example that he gives, we don't have this in our culture. But when somebody compels you to go one mile, go with them too. So remember, Rome is the occupier of the nation of Israel at this time. There are Roman soldiers everywhere in the nation of Israel. And Roman law allowed the Roman soldiers to come to you as an individual and say, you're going to carry my gear for the next mile. Let's go. And you did not have the right to say no. And if you said no, there's going to be consequences that you're not willing to abide in. You're going to obey the command and the law of an oppressor. And Jesus knows the taste that that would have in the mouth of the culture that he's communicating to. This is a 
real life scenario that they are living out every day in their culture as they see every single Roman culture, Roman soldier. And if a soldier tells them, come on, you're going to carry my gear for the next mile. Jesus says, don't just carry it for a mile, carry it for two. Why? Salt and light. You're going to have that soldier's attention for the next two miles. You could be all grumpy and pouty and woe is me and my rights are being stepped on and don't you know who I am and I'm busy and I've got better things to do, right? right? We all have our excuses. And we could walk alongside of that soldier, that occupier, that person that's forcing us to do something, grumbling, insulting, sour-faced, sour heart insulting. We can do all of that and we can do it really well. And Jesus is saying, don't. I want you to not walk not just a mile. I want you to walk two miles with that guy. I want you to walk so long with that guy that that guy's going to want to carry his own pack just so he has to stop listening to you. Right? But then, I mean, this is the heart. heart is my heart that he's getting at. Blake, when you encounter a person that drives you nuts, and trust me, by confession, people drive me nuts all the time. I drive myself nuts. Um, What am I saying? I am saying about my heart in regards to I need to let go of my rights all the time. And in that, you know, I feel right in the moment. And when I feel right, I get really assertive. When my opinion is right and I know that it's right and somebody else's perspective is wrong, I get pretty forceful with my mouth, my body posture, my eyes, my expression. Blake needs to chill out all the time. And this is something that I communicate to myself a lot. And going about, this person needs gentleness. They need kindness. Um, But even when it comes to an oppressor and an enemy, taking that opportunity to, all right, let's talk about Jesus. You know, where are you from? As you're, as you're going about the labor that you have to do, putting forth the extra effort in that labor to really get to know the person that you think is a jerk at the moment, but you might wait, walk away with a handshake or a hug at the end of that conversation, and you just may have won somebody to Christ with your mouth rather than turning away somebody from the gospel just because of the sourness of your face. So, well, if that's what Christians act like, we all hear those kind of arguments. It's not a real argument when that person stands before the Lord, but he's called us to be salt and light and go beyond the line. The last one, give to him who asks of you and for him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So this is in lending practices. You get asked of your stuff, your time, your money, your treasures, whatever it may be. People ask of you all the time. And often we have this right in our own mind. No, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to. Every time I let you borrow my stuff, you return it broken. You know, those kinds of attitudes. Um, Ultimately, this whole section, what Jesus is getting at is he's getting at our hearts, all of our justifications and excuses and the rights that we have to remember that we need to lay those things down in our relationship with him. Jesus is not telling us to submit ourselves to abusers and to violence, but what he is calling us to do 
is to lay down our rights and to have a prayerful conversation with them. You may just have a moment to have a prayer with them in response, or you may have an extended period of time of, Lord, how do you want me to respond in this circumstance to be that salt and to be that light in this moment? Um, Turn in Romans 12, and this is where we're going to finish. And Paul picks up on these ideas as he's talking about living a life that's not conformed and pressed into the things and the ways that this world teaches us, but to be truly transformed by our almighty God in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. So in Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, God's been merciful to you and you know it. He loves you. And he wants you to present your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice, as an offering that's, that's holy and acceptable to God, which is, it's your reasonable service. This is right. This is what you ought to do. God, my life is yours. You have purchased my life from death and from darkness and from corruption. You have given me light and life in purity. Here I am, Lord. How do you want me to serve you, to minister to you? Do not be conformed, pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. This is that process of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, that kind of transformation. Lord, may you transform the way that we think. Because the way that we think, Lord, that that's going to sink down into our hearts and transform our characters through your power. That transformation, it's going to transform the way that I speak, the things that I speak, how I speak. And it's going to transform my behavior. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Same idea that Jesus is getting at, not to be high-minded, not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be demanding of your rights, but to be the servant of all. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? And you have to be the servant of all, taking the low position, thinking soberly, humbly, truthfully, according to the measure of faith that's been given to you. For we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Talking about our physical bodies, applying it to the body of Christ. There's many people in this room. We have different functions within his body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts. The Holy Spirit has given us gifts supernaturally. Our almighty God has created us different with different gifts, different abilities, different interests, different passions, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. How God has wired you, how God has gifted you, use that. How? If prophesying, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry or in service, let us use it in our ministering. 
He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There's such freedom in this because this is uh, God giving us that permission in our transformed, sanctified selves in relation to him being exactly who he has made us to be, living out those works that he's created us to walk in, living out the gifts, not in haughtiness and in pride. Look at the gifts that Jesus has given to me and not to you. You know, he doesn't want that character in us. What he has given to us is to be in service to the body of Christ. So verse nine, and this is where Jesus will progress in the sermon. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling, hold on to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to each other. No, I want people to honor me and give preference to me. There ought to be a traffic jam at every door to church, right? No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. Quit driving me nuts. Somebody go first. Out serving one another is this idea in love. Not lagging, not being idle in diligence, being fervent, passionate, zealous in spirit. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, that confident expectation that God is who he says that he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do to you, to the person next to you. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation when you are being crushed, when you are being tried, when life is difficult in that moment patient endurance, continuing steadfastly in prayer, having constant conversations with God for his will, for the transformation of your heart, for God to violate the will of another to bring them to the Lord, distributing to the needs of the saints, not to the greeds, but to the needs, given the hospitality, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Be of the same mind towards one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion but my opinion is so good. It's so smart. It's so wise. If they would just listen to me, do you know how quickly I could have this conflict solved in Israel right now? If any of you had any of those conversations in your own head, in your own wisdom, and gone through your steps one through 10, I'd have this thing worked out no problem. I, in all of my foolishness, think something like that way sometimes. Blake, do not be wise in your own opinions. And here's ultimately where Jesus is teaching, again, uh, where we'll be in a couple of weeks, where we are today, um, what we just read from Paul and now what we're reading. It's, it's all the same subject matter. Repay no one evil for evil. It's the idea of do not resist the evil one. 
Don't repay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. You're not going to wear. All you're going to do is cause damage, further damage to the relationship, to yourself. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That idea is conviction. It's also an idea of judgment. But here's the punchline. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Worship team, come on up. This is the heart of Jesus's kingdom. This is the heart that he is teaching to each one of us in relationship with him. And it comes down to this punchline of do not be overcome with the malicious evil of the world that is seeking to overcome you and take you down. We all encounter other human beings in relationships in our life. We don't live in isolation. We live in community and a variety in that community. And ultimately, what Jesus is getting at in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling us to lay down our rights in relationship with him, to seek him in conversation for the right way forward in that conversation. But ultimately, it's be sure that you have a greater value on the human being than you do on other things, whether it's your own possessions whether it's your time, whether it's your rights. As we interact with other human beings, be intentional, Lord. I need to have my thoughts about this person to be elevated and high. Even the person that you know is not worthy and does not deserve to be lifted up in your mind. Like they deserve judgment. They deserve consequence. They don't only deserve God's vengeance. They deserve my vengeance. God is directing us away from that heart and pursuing that heart. Don't be overcome with evil. Don't let the news reels cause you to be overcome and overwhelmed. And if you are feeling overwhelmed in the moment, we stand strong in the strength of the Lord. Our offensive weapon is not the picket sign. Our offensive weapon is to bow down before the creator and ask him to intervene and to change us and to transform us and to intervene in the life of the people that you know that need to be corrected. Where vengeance is needed and you know it's needed and judgment is needed, trust in the Lord and hope in the Lord and be patient for him to bring about his vengeance because he will bring it out in the perfect time, in the perfect way.
that the coals of fire that need to be heaped on the head of another human being, that they'll sit under the judgment and the condemnation of God, and hopefully that they'll turn away from their sin and they'll turn to his marvelous light and life. Amen? So remember these things as we come up, come and grab communion. Invite you just to participate in that quietly yourself this morning with your family. But if you're struggling in um, your rights and demanding your rights, if you're struggling in lashing out and wanting vengeance, we've talked, Jesus has talked a lot about this subject matter. Um, have the prayerful conversation with him, remembering that he laid down his rights to sacrifice himself for your sins and for the sins of all humanity, that whosoever comes to him in faith is now clean and it is in that process of transformation. That's Worship Church.